0: This is Mission.org.
1: I'm sure that you guys have talked about the community model in terms of marketing for many, many, many years. Well, now that wave is finally slapping the face of every single person who's planning an event and going, It is so hard for you to have to recreate your audience, recreate the event app, and recreate all this content once a year for your event. Why don't you just keep them on one platform all year long and instead trickle in your webinars, trickle in your podcasts, all throughout, and build a community within a privately owned platform that you then control.
0: The world changed in 2020. Events shifted from in-person to online and sometimes a hybrid version between the two. Now, as we start to emerge and potentially have more in-person experiences, it's wise to consider just how events can be even more impactful moving forward. Will Curran, the founder of Endless Events, a comprehensive event management company, talks about how the disruptions we experienced and our responses to maintain connection despite them taught valuable lessons that we can use to create deeper communities between people. Let's get into it. I'm so curious about your background. I love, I saw the start, which basically was you kind of a hobby of DJing yep. these kind of backyard events. And then this really kind of blew up to really DJing seven days a week and growing. So let's start right there because what you've built is very impressive and we'll get to that. But let's start to the kind of the, at the beginning of this for you is like, when did, when did the magic of events start sparking in Will's world?
1: Yeah. I mean, the start for me was actually, I think like even just attending events. Like I remember, you know, being excited, hanging around the DJ at my sister's wedding. And, you know, I was just really, really excited, I think, to be at events and kind of figure out how they all worked. And what's interesting is my background, like I'm more comfortable producing the events usually than attending them. So like when things are going wrong or, you know, someone needs to jump in, like that's my like hero moment that makes me really, really excited. And yeah, like the kind of formal journey started when I was yeah, DJing basically in my bedroom in high school. And then eventually my friends started asking me to DJ their backyard parties. And then from there, basically, uh, you know, my high school told me, told all the middle schools about me, I'm DJing all the time. And then I got to college and I was DJing college events all the time. And then, you know, discovered Google AdWords and was like, oh my gosh, I can literally get, you know, a gig for a dollar click. <laughs> Those were the days. Um, and, uh, you know, basically just kind of just scaled up from there. But for me, I've always had this incessant need to grow and do bigger events and, you know, help accomplish you know, bigger and bigger gatherings of people. So, you know, from there, obviously, DJing wasn't enough. So we moved into production and focusing on like the technologies of the events, the audiovisual, the lighting, and that worked really well. And I kind of found a niche in being able to help demystify an area that people were kind of like, very like IT like, where it's kind of like a mystery. And from there, basically realizing that, you know, oh, hey, you know, it's, it's not just the production, you know, and before I knew it, everybody was asking me, Hey, like, how can I make my events more strategic? How can I make you know generate a better ROI? How do I create audience engagement? And realizing that you know production wasn't the only thing that we were really good at, um, and it was every aspect of the event. So that's really why Endless has you know become an event management company is like in roots of like entertainment production and complicated mess and stress, and then moving into this full scale, we can manage every aspect of your event. So in that way, you don't have to kind of mentality.
0: Wow! Yeah, because you you went through this kind of aha moment around production and technology, and then you you started going down this road. I mean, you started applying it to all these events, you're leveraging technology, and here you are, it was like fifteen years plus <laughs> later,
1: years later, yeah, fifteen years later. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, so it's incredible. I, I and I also love the is it the Einsteins of is that what yeah. they call the the people that work at endless events? Is the Einstein of events?
1: Yeah, we call ourselves so the Einsteins of events. Yeah.
0: So you, there's definitely kind of this. Mad scientist, I feel like you have to this. Like, how do we take this experience and holistically, like the tech, the experience, the programming, like the set and setting, like the entire picture? And let's let's get really good at all of these things. Totally. Um, and that seems to have taken you on some wild rides.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and and kind of what's been kind of cool for us is that like I've always been like super techie. So, like always trying to put a technology spin on things too. You know, for example, like you know we were one of the first people to be like abomish the the binder that the event planner carries around with him like why do you need to have a physical paper binder for everything like we're completely paperless like you know it, it seems kind of like common now but like you know 8 years ago we decided to go remote when literally i would talk to clients they'd be like Oh, you don't have an office? Oh, I'm sorry. You're not like legit enough for us. Like and you know, and, and it was it was really interesting. You know, we've always just said, like, you know, technology is is the future and we can do things better. There's no reason why we have to fly out to your office to have a meeting when Zoom exists. Like always focusing on how can we do things better through a lens of technology has also been a big focus for us.
0: So when it comes to events, you know, let's just get right into the nitty-gritty. When it comes to events, this is a world that you know very well and your team knows very well. How are brands and individual companies like getting this wrong today in 2022?
1: Well, I think one of the first things that's happening immediately in 2022 is that people are treating their events like they did in 2019, right? So, you know, we're seeing a lot of people when, you know, when 2020 happened, everyone was forced to go virtual and they're like, we have to go virtual. We, you know, like there, we have no choice. We literally physically can't meet. And then what ended up happening is that everyone like, got exposed to this whole world of virtual platforms and, you know, the idea of doing, you know, really awesome video production virtually. And then, you know, we were like, wow, this is going to say now this is all going to translate and everyone's going to move, you know, bring this along with them into the future. And then what happened is the second that Ah, uh, mandates went away, and all these things like that. Everyone's like, "Okay, well, we can bring everybody back." We're like, "Okay, great. We're going to move into this future of hybrid events." Which hybrid events have existed for many years—the idea of bringing an in-person audience and a virtual audience together under one single event. But then, what ended up happening is people are like, "Oh, you know, we don't want to do virtual. We're just going to do it in person." I think it's really sad because it's lost a ton of opportunity. It's it's A, first assuming that your audience and the people attending your event are the same people that they were in 2019. We know that's not true. Everybody has changed dramatically over the last two years, right? I was on a plane like every day, every like minute, all the time moving around. I like hardly ever get on airplanes anymore now, right? So, you know, it's it's that, but also too, like we talk about diversity, equity, inclusion of events. Like When you're going virtual, that is the ultimate way that you can allow yourself to be a truly diverse event. Allow people from any walk of life to be able to come and attend your event, whether they have a large budget, small budget, where they physically are able to, or let's say they're an introvert, right? And they can't attend your event. And I think that us deciding to go back to 2019 and doing exactly the same way is just such a shame, and it's like taking everything that we, all the hardship and all the pain and all the you know things that we learned from the you know pandemic, and basically like kind of tossing out the window, which I think is really sad.
0: Mm. I saw that first of all, you guys put a lot of content out around events, which I love. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of thought leadership there. I mean, it didn't take me long from your Twitter to the company's Twitter to all the different pieces of content I downloaded this cool report on um, that you guys did on. It was very well done. It was your, the 2022 endless guide, you know, endless events to Oh, the trends guide, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're putting in a lot of content on this and you talked about the types of hybrid events. I think there's like a couple of of events. So the hybrid events is not going away are you, are you seeing in like an evolution of the hybrid event? I know there's different types you mentioned, but is there kind of like another thing happening now that we're merging these two things together in some ways? Well, maybe better now than before, but is there something else being birthed now that you have more commonplace hybrid events happening?
1: Oh, hundred percent. Well, I mean like, you know, prior to the pandemic, I call like hybrid 1.0. It was like, To be a hybrid event, what everyone did is they stuck a camera in the back of the room and they live streamed the event, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And that that was a, a decent experience at the time, right? But now people are wanting, you know, broadcast, television quality, you know, broadcast. Now they've experienced that when all the production budgets and money went into virtual events, everyone got to experience how you could do this in the right way. Where I think the future of like hybrid is the ability for you to feel the same level of experience and have almost like a... Equal experience between virtual and in person. And I'll explain what that means because I think one of the big challenges everyone thinks it's like trying to recreate the in person experience virtually. I don't think that you necessarily need to do that, but I do think that what you want to try to do is minimize FOMO from the virtual audience. And I think, you know, we're talking from a marketing podcast right now. So, like, thinking about, you know, creating a virtual element as a marketing segment of, your event, a lot of people are like, well, no, I want the virtual people to become in-person. And it's like, no, 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 you don't have to worry about that. If you make the virtual experience so good, people will then say, Well, oh, dang, if this is a virtual experience. I got to go to the in-person experience of the event. And they'll just naturally go. In fact, you know, many, many reports have happened over the years, and this is pre-pandemic. Everyone would worry, oh, if I do a virtual element, am I cannibalizing my in-person audience? And that is 100% not true and not true in any sort of way. In fact, they found in every single report that if you did a virtual element of your event, you actually sold more in-person tickets. And I think that's a hundred percent true. So the idea of like bringing the experiences together and making them similar to each other, I think that the way that you do that is by really intentionally designing your event and working with, you know, your, your event management partners and your production partners and all those things like that, to be able to think creatively about how you can do these things. Uh, For example, finding ways to create uh, unique experiences where in-person attendees can network with virtual attendees, making sure that you're hiring the right kind of speakers who really engage with the camera and look at the camera lens and engage with the virtual audience that can look down at a chat and be like, Jeremy, I see you in the chat right now virtually tuning in from, you know, Australia. I love you, man. You know, and then people go, whoa oh my gosh, I'm paying attention. I'm engaged. And that's a big challenge. I think that a lot of people have when it comes to these, uh, you know, virtual aspects of events or even events in general. Number one topic is audience engagement. And I think that you can really do it if you think smart about it and you don't just tack on a technology or an app, you can do some really incredible things. But I'm starting to go, I think, down a little bit of a rabbit hole in that one.
0: <laughs> I love it. No, that no, that's awesome. I was curious about kind of the how you mentioned that one example, just how can in person and virtual attendees connect, and maybe there is some tech or a strategy you're seeing work really well for increasing engagement between someone who's not at the event and someone who is at the event. Or what are you seeing work well there?
1: Yeah, I think um, you know if you're trying to create a way to engage the two, I think I talked a little bit about content, right? Like, and and we're talking to a bunch of marketers right now who are listening to this, so you guys get content. It's like, oh my gosh, we have to make amazing content and. And we've gotten that for years. We have podcasts, we have great blog posts, eBooks, webinars, all those things like that. Content is king, even in the event space. So my first recommendation is get rid of all the crappy content, like just get rid of it, right? Like everyone's sitting here like, well, how can I get the CFO to create an amazing engagement? Well, does the CFO even really need to talk? Let's be honest. You know, if someone's coming up and Giving this presentation, like if it's not an engaging person with it, the audience is going to fall asleep and be bored. And you know, part of me starts to like see this trend that like it's less about the actual content, right? Like no one walks away from a Will Kern presentation and is like, "Will said this mind blowing idea." If I said a mind blowing idea, by the way, on this podcast, like sweet, awesome, thank you so much. (laughs) Feel free to tweet me. But you know, most of the time, people are going, "Wow!" Like I knew all these things, but what I do is I try to connect the dots and deliver it through an energetic formula that gets people excited and energized around it. And I think that we need to do that more when we're designing our content for our events, because far too often we're saying, oh, this person's a thought leader, blah, blah. But we never vet their presentation abilities and things like that. And if you're going to do a hybrid event, you have to have great presentation abilities, because it's not as easy as go in and make eye contact with all the people, You know, put up a poll and you know, do Q&A. You have to be able to do that but with two simultaneous audiences and juggle them both at the same time. You have to be able to read a teleprompter. You have to be able to have you know the chat at the bottom edge of the stage that's flying by. And then you have to be able to read names and read comments. You have to be able to flow the Q&A in. You have to be really engaging on that aspect, I think, to be able to keep people hooked. Because when it comes to virtual, especially, right? If I'm bored, I'm going to go watch Netflix in my living room, right? And no one will ever know. But if you're in person, it's really hard for you to stand up and walk out. But people's attention spans are getting shorter and shorter and shorter. I'm not going to doubt that in the future that it's going to be commonplace. That if the content sucks, people are just literally going to walk right out. But with virtual, it's so commonplace. So that's my first tip is start with awesome content. My second tip is that you design your technology and your platform. You know, For example, um, the platform is the, the place where you host all the live streams. You have the chat, the polling. Far too often people are sticking the virtual audience on a separate platform than they are their in-person attendees you have to put them on the same platform and the reason that's important is that you need the ability for them to collide and bump shoulders with each other and especially with these event technologies now the event technology and the platforms are designing it so then that way they can handle hybrid events they can do virtual and they can do in person and i think that's really exciting too for the future because in the future, and this, me again, going down a rabbit hole, is that the future is that this platform is going to become your single app for all of your events. And, you know, I'm sure that you guys have talked about the community model in terms of marketing for a long, many, many, many years. Well, now that wave is finally slapping the face of every single person who's planning an event and going, It is so hard for you to have to recreate your audience, recreate the event app, and recreate all this content every single one, you know, once a year for your event. Why don't you just keep them on one platform all year long, and instead trickle in your webinars, trickle in your podcasts, all throughout, and build a community within a privately owned platform that you then control? That you know you don't have to worry about what's the next Facebook algorithm change, or is Facebook even going to exist in you know three years? Because you own the platform, you run it just the same way you have. You own your blog, you own your newsletter, all those things like that.
0: That's awesome. That we we just got back from an event in Cabo actually last week. It was a group, an entrepreneurial group called Baby Bathwater. Oh, familiar cool. with this
1: group? No, no, no. Tell me.
0: Really awesome group. But they've been meeting for years. They get a bunch of entrepreneurs together and they meet at different locations and they travel. And but they they launched an app in, in this past year. And so we went to this our first event and. Everything was in the app. Awesome. The community was in the app. The, the, we're getting engaged with each other in the app. The content, you know, the programming, and it was it was a well done user experience, and it's and it's brilliant. So now every event they have, it's all through this one platform. It's all unified, mm. and we're all over the world, and we know we fly in to to go to these events, and we can now connect all through that through that place that That's they so own.
1: Cool. Right. So, and did you do you still use that same app today after the event? Are you still using it to engage? Yeah. There you go. That's yeah. the dream.
0: Yeah, because like that's where. Yeah, I mean, for me, the biggest part was the community, the people in in the app. So they're all. I mean, everyone's there. I mean, it's a resource of amazing entrepreneurs and experts, and I can just message them right away, right there. So. 100%. Yeah, it's a an interesting way to to start building community and engaging that way. How are you measuring success? in the event space now today? are there, are you Have you kind of reprioritized metrics given things have changed? Are you sticking to what you've done in the past? If so, what what are the ways you're measuring success of events now?
1: Yeah, um, actually, it's, it's pretty similar to the way we did before, right? And obviously, like every event has its own success metrics. For example, like if you're doing like an internal conference, you probably have different metrics than someone doing an external user conference compared to somebody who's doing a marketing activation, that sort of thing. But you know, a lot of it is very, very similar. The difference though, is that you're also measuring two audiences simultaneously with each other. You know, for example, um, you know, I think one of the great things about uh, event technology and technology in general is that before, when you were doing an event in person, if you wanted to measure people's eyeballs, were they actually paying attention during that you know keynote presentation or whatever it may be? You know, you had to you know put uh, eye tracking software in the room and all these things like that. And where, you know, what's cool about virtual is that you have the ability to track everything so minutely, right? Like I I went nuts when the whole virtual revolution started happening because I was like, as a marketer, you know, I've been using HubSpot for years. So I'm like, oh my gosh, I can track what pages someone goes through. I can see how long they've looked at a live stream, all these things like that. So I think that there's a ton more data that we have because of that virtual aspect. And I think what's happening now is that, now people are like, well, I've gotten that virtually. How do I get that in person? And finally, the time has shot to shine for all these event technologies that existed for years that do things like RFID tagging or, you know, Bluetooth low energy that lets you, you know, measure how many people are in a room um, that allow you to have people connect their badges just by tapping them to each other. I think there's a lot of exciting things about that. So the technology is to push forward the amount of um, data that you can collect. But I do think that all of it's based in very, very similar metrics, right? We're we're still measuring things like NPS of attendees. We're still measuring, you know, how many connections are being made. We're still, you know, measuring how often they connect with exhibitors. There, there's all that stuff still exists, but now it's just like, oh my gosh, it's supercharged by technology even more. And people, they've seen the power virtually and now wanting to implement it in person as well.
0: Hmm. Can you talk about event retention in 2022 and some of the things you're noticing, recommendations there?
1: Yeah. Yeah. In terms of like attendees and retaining to come back to the events. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. It, it's hard, right? Like the pandemic basically made it so people became really choosy, right? Like I said, like I'm on way less planes mm-hmm. than I've ever been. Um, I used to speak at, you know, dozens and dozens of conferences. And now, you know, like I'm picking and choosing. I'm picking the one conference I want to go to. I'm picking, you know, the, the, the being, just being more nitty gritty about which ones that are actually going to add value. So, I think people are very much now saying, you know, I don't need to go to three or four conferences. This one's doing it really, really well. But I think that is also fueled by the idea that if you are doing a hybrid event, some people are going to say, you know, I went to that conference for the keynotes and the talks. You know, I didn't really go for the networking. I'm just going to sit at home and watch it on my couch, you know, and then I can walk the dog in between or maybe I can answer some emails in between and they feel more comfortable with that. Um, but also too, you know, I think that there was the death of a lot of events, I think, over the last two years, right? Like some people tried to go virtually, did it poorly. And now they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to go back, but their audience is already gone. And I think that the audience being already gone is just given an opportunity for new people to come in to create new types of experiences and kind of gotten rid of some of the the old um, events. But I think it's also challenged event planners, event professionals, you know, marketing professionals to say, how can we do this better? And I love that because like, it's so easy in our industry for us to say, oh, hey, let's just do what we did last year and like stamp a new year on it. Let's shift up the speakers a little bit, but we'll keep it all the same. It's, it's, it just feels like a rehash every single year. And so I think this opportunity for, you know, attendees to be so, so adamant about a better experience that it's now getting everybody to hopefully rise up. I think we'll see that in like the next year or so is, uh, you know, I think that this year, if you can't do a good event, it's going to be like the nail in the coffin, I think.
0: Mm. Do you think just generally speaking, that people are really wanting to come back together more now than in the past? Do you feel like, are you noticing in all the events that you're a part of, you know, producing and creating and hosting are you seeing kind of an onslaught of people that are coming back together now?
1: Yeah, 100%. Yeah, people are so like just jazzed about the idea of seeing each other, right? Like I was, uh, I saw some of my friends over the, the weekend at a wedding and you know, I hadn't seen them in a little while. And I was just like, you know, oh my gosh, we have to meet in other cases other than just a wedding, right? Like we're, we're just so excited to see each other and it's given an excuse for people to come back together. I think one of the interesting things when it comes to like everybody coming back together though, is that like that that only can last for so long though, right? Once people start seeing each other regularly, that's not the only reason why. So I think what we're seeing right now is like a flood of attendees coming to events, that are like, I just want to see people. Mm-hmm. And then what's happening is that, you know, once they get enough people, they're going to be like, well, wait, why do I really need to go to that anymore? Why, why exactly do I need to, 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 to be there? So I think that there's this opportunity for you to use it as a draw to get those people initially, but then sustain it by creating an experience more than just meeting people. Or meeting people in a way that is so unique that people are just excited about the idea of, uh, of being in the room together, but more than that. Uh, because if you're just leaning on the idea that it's post-pandemic or towards the end of the pandemic, I should say, feelings of wanting to meet each other, that's not sustainable. That's not a, a sustainable business strategy. It's like the idea of like going on a social network just because everybody's on it. It's like, yeah, you can do that and you'll get lucky because there'll just be eyes and they will just be there. But at some point, like, you need to get more strategic than that.
0: Is there kind of a sweet spot of events or styles, types of events that you guys are putting on now? Like, what's the what's the scope of events that you're working with now?
1: Yeah, we're doing a little bit of a little bit of everything. We're doing primarily corporate events, so we're doing conferences, meetings, and then a lot of like marketing activations and user conferences, right? Um, where you know, if it's it's primarily driven around the idea of content, the idea of networking, right? Conferences like that style of events is very very good for us because we find that you know it's it's less targeting the idea of like trying to get somebody to, oh my gosh, like I, I have to meet this, you know, XYZ person, a celebrity or whatever it is, or, oh, you know, like just randomly placing on a street corner to, to get eyeballs on your product, but instead is designing a meaningful experience that goes beyond just the 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 flash and trash, but beyond that. So like conferences work really well for us, meetings, um, that sort of thing. And then, yeah, a lot of user group meetings as well.
0: Do you have any thoughts on events I guess specific to kind of the B2B world, I know that it seems like oftentimes these B2B buyers are very kind of fragmented, they're anonymous, they're often resistant, and the B2B world is is also vast and there's a lot of events happening in that world. Do you have any thoughts around things that are working well in the B2B world in terms of getting people together, high-level ideas or, or strategies or just examples that you've seen work well to get some of these folks in the same space at the same time?
1: Yeah, you know, I I could probably talk about the things I've seen work well in the past, but I think it's probably better to talk about what I think is going to be a more long term solution. Because I I could give you a trend, but you know, it might work for the next year or two, but I really think that things are going to change. Um, So, you know, to kind of go down, dive a little bit back down that rabbit hole of community, I do think the community is that future of how you're going to attract B2B people right? People are wary of social media now, right? Like people really hate Facebook and what's going on. Hopefully no one from Facebook's listening to this right now and Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> isn't. But um, you know, it's people really are distrustful of Facebook, right? Like I don't want to use it at all. And I give money to put it ads and try to use it. That's how I, my company literally can make money is attracting people through the content we promote on Facebook and on these groups. So like the fact that I make money off of it and I don't like it, shows, I think, a larger trend. If you talk to those people that have no you know, feelings for it at all, they're, they're gone, right? And then look outside of Facebook. People are just distrustful of being able to give up their data, right? Like we've been harping on, the data professionals have been harping on this stuff for years, but now it's finally like, oh my gosh, everyone's like, wait, this has been going on? We're like, yeah, this has been going on for like 10 years. Are you ready for this? Um, so, the people are more distrustful of social media. So, I think people are going to be looking for new avenues to connect. But people are always going to be looking for ways to get into a niche community to talk about the things that they love. My girlfriend, for example, loves national parks. And she's like, I don't like Facebook at all. But that's the only place that has a group that I'm able to communicate with people who like national parks. Well, if you offer her up a $10 membership to join an app that allows her to talk to other national uh, park people, she's 100% say yes. And oh, and by the way, you don't give up in your data and you pay that $10 a month, funds the cost. of it. people are all doing the heartbeat. Mm-hmm. And so that, I think that's really like, to, to go off on a little bit of tangent, but like, that's really where the web three kind of world is starting to come as people are like, I'm cool with being able to have alternative ways to be able to enjoy these tools. I love without giving up my data by, you know, paying for it or utilize my computer power, those sort of things. Okay. That's a little tangent for a second, but then coming back to the community model is that there's also this other bigger trend starting to happen when it comes to B2B, you know, events and things like that is that all these event technology companies are coming out of the pandemic, and their VC funds are like, "Yo, you got to make more AAR, annual recurring revenue. You got to like, you know, be making way more money. You got to be more profitable because you know that that twenty million dollars you made in the in the pandemic, you know, now it's going to be fifteen because you know people are looking for, you know, go back to in person events and maybe your market share is going away. How can you draw people back in to get them into this, you know, recurring revenue?" They're like, well, what if we just give them the platform for a whole year and they can use it for unlimited events? Like, that's a great idea. Now there's more stickiness and they're going to have to use it for everything. And then what happens is the platforms are like, well, that's also a hard ask for someone who has one event a year. So now the event platforms are like, we have to become community platforms. So now all these technologies are moving towards community platforms and promoting community, community, community. So now you're kind of getting this push-pull that's happening. You have, you know, the technology saying you have to go towards community. You have users who are actually craving that community. And I think finally, event professionals are going to listen and be like, oh, community is a great way to do it. So I think to go back to your original question of how do you attract people, when you build a community of people who are interested in a niche and interested in your topic, they're going to be really sticky. And what ends up happening is if you do an annual conference or a monthly event or whatever it is. When they're already committed to the community and they're truly committed, engaged, and you just announced that, hey, there's a get-together, now you get to feel that energy of, oh my gosh, I want to meet these people, right? And it doesn't become a hard sell. Whereas right now, so many event professionals and marketers are literally planning events and are like, how do I get butts in seats? How do I sell people to the- an audience that has no awareness that I exist? Why not create your own audience and then sell your events to those people who are already engaged and love what you do? And what's so great about that is that now you can take that $500 conference registration and you can maybe even still sell it for $500, but you're also getting additional revenue forms of a $10 a month a membership or whatever it may be. And I think that one thing that might pop into people's minds is associations and associations have existed. And basically is this model is like create a community that just happens to have events that go on to it. But the problem with associations is there's a steep joining fee, right? Usually it's like $500 a year or whatever it may be. But also too, the associations get so stuck in an association model rather than an online community model that they're getting left behind because people are paying $500 to join a local chapter where the local chapter doesn't get any of those dues or any of that money. So they can't produce anything of value. And then, you know, most of the time the online platform sucks for these associations so they end up getting kind of stuck and, and people go, well, I don't want to really pay money just to join a club that I'm still going to have to pay $500 a year for membership. But online communities totally work and we see them all over the place and they're super profitable and they're, I think it's just the wave of the future of being able to get the attention of B2B buyers.
0: Are you also hosting events for event? companies? Like, I feel like I can see you doing, like an event con <laughs> where like everyone comes to you to learn about what's happening in the space. Are you doing things like that for folks in your in your world?
1: Yeah, a little bit. Like that's really where our content really shines is like we we try to educate people within the industry. So like yeah. we have event icons, which was like our first podcast, which was all live streamed. And, uh, you know, we've created this content of like, yeah, trying to bring event professionals and educate them. And that's worked really, really well for us. Um, And yeah, I'd say there's going to be stuff in the future too, of trying to bring more event professionals to talk about these sort of concepts in the future. Uh, And I also speak at a ton of events industry conferences as well and marketing conferences too. So if anyone needs a marketing speaker, you just let me know.
0: (laughs) Nice. What do you think about Metaverse Web 3 and- Oh my gosh. And events being at that table with those two things? Like, are you seeing things happen unfolding there? We're seeing some brands play in the NFT Metaverse world. And Web3 world, what are you seeing in terms of the event world and, and those those areas?
1: Oh, my gosh. So uh, it's funny. Years and years, <laughs> there's been a couple of people in the events industry about Harvard, like virtual reality is a big part of the events industry in the future. And you know, we always joke and said, not yet, not yet, not yet. And I, I thought the pandemic was really going to push VR forward, which I think it did you know, to Facebook and Metas, the Quest 2 is revolutionizing people's ability to get into VR and utilize that experience. So I think that, you know, it's going to take some, I think what's going to happen is something like Apple is going to come out with a headset or, you know, some other comp- major companies can come out with a really good all-in-one Quest 2. It could be honestly the same thing as Quest 2, but just not be Facebook. It's going to blow up. It's going to be in everybody's household. Everyone's going to utilize it. And I think that's really short. That's maybe next two, three years or so. When it comes to Web 3, though, I kind of teased a little bit. I, I I, prior to probably maybe a year ago, I kind of like was ignoring a lot of the crypto space and things like that. It it had a lot of noise in it. And, you know, I, you know, aside from producing a couple of cryptocurrency kind of like, you know, Ethereum based platform conferences for clients. And that was really how I was learning it. I didn't really understand how it was going to be involved. But, you know, more more recently, I kind of got involved in the crypto space and tried to learn more about it and teach about it. And I started to see the future of it. You know, Web3 is this idea that it's not a single company that holds all your data. You know, it's, it's the idea of moving beyond this idea of user-generated content. It's trying to create like a future where, you know, everything is more transparent and everything's a little bit more open and that, you know, yeah, it's not just based on selling your own personal data. I think that is coming really, really soon. So where I think the, kind of the future of events is going to start to happen with Web3 is that you'll start to see it mainly in the VR space, right? The idea that that virtual component of your event is going to be happening on a VR headset rather than on a computer screen. And I think people are craving that, right? Like we're all zoomed out. We don't want to watch video screens anymore on our computer screens, at least. We love watching it on our TV though. But if you could say to someone, hey, like you can go in and attend the event in a a metaverse component, I think people would be really, really excited about the idea. But what you need is that headset adoption. You need a headset in every single home. You need to make it really easy. I've always talked about it for many years. I'm like, hey, you know, conference attendance sometimes is like, you know, a thousand bucks to attend for a week you know, if you said to someone virtually said like, Hey, if you could figure out a way to monetize a, a virtual component with a headset and send them a headset and say like, they open the box and they just put the headset on and they're attending the event. I think that's really where the future is, but no one's really, you know, people have tried to do that. have kind of done it, but it hasn't really caught on a hundred percent. And I think the the next thing will be a part of that will be to talk about true metaverse is that you need that whatever happens virtually or Web three it needs to connect to that community app, right? Like it needs to be on one single platform. And I think that really is where the future is, is like the more that you can make it seamlessly integrated with each other, the more that people will get sticky with it, more people will stick with it. But if it's just another app to download, they always end up downloading the app, you know, and then a week after the conference, they delete it. And we want to make sure that we're avoiding that. And instead, we're getting people to stick and keep communicating, keep engaging with us all year long.
0: Mm, that's awesome. Do you have any kind of fun event story crazy event story that you learned something interesting or just a fun event that you saw unfold in the past, you know, a couple of years or even further back if you choose.
1: Yeah, I've gotten a, I've gotten the chance to do some really incredible events, right? Like so um to highlight like one of the craziest most fun events that we've done is we we did like all the Comic-Cons across the country huh. when they were, you know, really at like peak, right? Like when you were like literally every celebrity was at them. So I got to meet like all like and I'm a kind of comic book nerdy guy, so like I got to meet all like the comic book movie stars and you know got to like you know meet Stan Lee for example that was crazy so there there's been some like really crazy experiences like that that i think have really like like really opened my mind in terms of like you know how do you interact with famous people and things like that right so um that that that's probably the one of the craziest ones is the amount of celebrities i met at the comic cons but you know like i like everybody i have like the craziest stories of people calling us like a week out from an event and we have to like rehaul everything you know we've had it where we've done just yeah the craziest stuff but i would say you know the coolest thing that has ever happened at an event has probably been yeah just getting to meet the the people who you know have influenced you and shaped you as a person um that's pretty cool and just you know being able to say like thank you to those people to their face i think is a pretty incredible experience And yeah, and then also I'd say another just great experience when it comes to events is when you work for months and months and months, it's so much planning and detail, especially in some of these like really tight shows where there's like, okay, when the CEO walks, when he takes three steps, we need the fireworks to go off here. And then we need the video to go here. You know, those are pretty incredible experiences when you kind of get to pop it all off. It all starts to happen. It all unfolds. And what you do for months and months and months finally comes together in that moment. Like, wow ah, oh, that's like next level. Like you, there's no feeling, there's no drug in the world that can compete with that that feeling that you get when that all happens.
0: <laughs> oh, that's awesome. How did you win the Comic-Con business? That's a great
1: account. Oh my gosh. Okay, so this is like many, many years ago now at this point. So this is like when we were transitioning away from like entertainment and DJing towards production. Um, I was sitting okay. on my friend's couch it's mean, while I was still in college too. I like, love this
0: great star. It's a great start. on my friend's couch. On this my how we friend's couch.
1: And Will doesn't watch football. Like you know, he like he he's more like a hey. I if you want to watch football, I'm there to hang out with you as a friend. And he's like hey, let we're drinking some beers, hanging out, watching football, just talking. And his dad, who many – like, we had thrown, like, house parties in college, like, in his parents' backyard. So, his dad had always been like, hey, yeah, like, you know, check out uh, – you know, oh, like, I've, I've set up screens like this. We do this event where we have some screens, but they're not as big as these ones that you're bringing. Because I was, like, bring like, big projection screens, big sound systems for these backyard parties and stuff. And he's like, yeah, they're not as big. And, then, you know, so, we're sitting on his couch one day and his, his dad goes, hey, well, like, we're working on a bid for this Comic-Con. I had no idea what Comic-Con was at the time. I'm not going to lie. Um, you know, I think I heard of San Diego Comic-Con, but like, you know, or I don't think he even said Comic-Con. He just said like, we're doing this event. Would you be interested in putting a bid in because you guys do production and sound and staging? And I was like, uh, yeah, sure. That sounds really interesting. i uh, love to get, you know, put my name down. He's like, oh, what's your email address? Okay, here's my email address. Here's my information. He's like, okay, cool. He'll probably email you tomorrow. And I remember getting the email. <laughs> Uh, the next day, and um, uh, the, the, the founder of that Comic-Con, which was like the third or fourth largest Comic-Con in the country at the time, it was like our big start in being able to start producing these. He's like, hey, here's the bid. Here's all the information. And I've just skimmed through the bid. And this, this time I had a team. So I literally was just like kind of the face of it. So I was like, I skimmed through the bid. And I saw a date that it was like, oh, we want to have everything solidified by like, you know, May 28th. And this is like March 28th or something like that. I was like, oh, OK, cool. So yeah, we have until like May 28th to get the bid out. and so he uh (laughs) so he so i was like i replied like, oh yeah we can totally have everything to you by your may 28th deadline i sent it off to my team and like just kind of forgot about it about like five minutes later getting email back, he's like oh i think he misread it the due date of the bid is like like three days and we're like whoa oh my gosh and so we ended up putting like, I remember like getting on. we got to go, we got to go make work to put this all together. And we started like, kind of like doing the mental math as we we're reading through the scope of work. And we're like, oh my gosh, this is like, this is really, really big. This is a big like event for us. And so we started basically putting together the bid and everything like that. And I remember we, it was like March 31st, it was due at like, you know, 1159 or whatever it is. It's like 1150. And I'm, you know, G chatting back and forth because for was before we had Slack and G going back with my head of operations, who's building out the proposal. She's like this is really, really high. Like, this is really, really high in budget. Like, I don't, I think we're going to we're gonna lose the, the bid because we're just too high in price. And I was like, okay, well, you know, what can we like discount down to? And I was like, let's make like a 10% margin or something crazy like that. I was like, just, you know, slash the price. And like, at least we will be in the running for next year and we'll learn how to do better or whatever it is. And so, we went through like a round of interviews and all these things like that. They checked our references. And, you know, I remember we were at a, another like a trade show thing. This is like probably the last trade show I ever did because they never really brought us much business, which is why I focused on content. But we, uh, I remember my head of operations gets a call and she's like, it's, it's Comic Con people. And she like literally runs off. And then she like gets a call and I was just like, yep, this is when we find out we didn't get it. They're saying thank you. You know, since that she comes back, she grabs me and she could like pulls me off the side. She goes... We got it. And I was like, what? <laughs> and we were like, our whole team was with us at the time. And I was like, okay, oh, we can't. That's amazing. We, we're like, we're at the trade show. We got to stay focused. Let's, let, let, let's not tell anybody. So then we all <laughs> went out to dinner afterwards. That's like, was a big thing when we had an in-person uh, office back then. And we were all like based in one single city. And now we're like all, all over the world. But I remember being like, we pulled the team together. And we like we're at dinner, and we're like, "Oh, and by the way, we have some news to share about Comic Con." Like, "Oh, we didn't get it right." We're like, "No, we got it." And I was like, "Dinner's on us. We're gonna get whatever you guys oh, want." You know, and it was great. it was like such a cool moment. And it, and honestly, that was a very very pivotal moment for for us to like grow yeah. as a company. You know, like we learned so much through that experience.
0: Ah, oh, it sounds like a that sounds like a really great launch <laughs> launch pad, or at least some great momentum that carried you guys totally. to a whole nother level. Yeah.
1: Well, I think one of the things is like everything's really rapidly changing, right? Like the whole events world just got like ripped up in the past year. So I think one of the things to keep in mind is that it's all going to change and it's all constantly changing and updating and improving and all these different ways. So like one of the best recommendations I have too is like, don't just stick with what happened in a year ago because things are changing so rapidly. I think that we probably have another three, four years of rapid innovation before things really settle down to the pace they were pre-pandemic. So just keep that in mind. And I think one of the best things to do is just, yeah, stay on top of, you know, industry podcasts like this, stay on top of lots of different publications, right? Check out Endless's content if you want to, too. And you just stay on top of these things because it's rapidly changing so fast. You know, what you did one year ago is totally going to be different than what you do the next year as well.
0: On that note, are there, what do you think is table stakes for a good event now? Like, what are the things that you're like, look, these things you have to have now to have a successful event.
1: I think first, really amazing content, right? The second thing I think is that you got to have some sort of fun, unique experience that makes it, that just kind of gives people a little bit of a different feeling. I think you have to not be afraid to be a little edgy and a little different, right? Instead of, you know, for example, instead of doing, you know, a networking exhibit hall, you know, for example, HubSpot crushed it. And this concept was like, they're like, we're going to turn into a club. We're gonna make all exhibitor booths open. We're gonna play loud music. It, for most people, they're like, wait, the exhibitor aren't going to be able to hear their clients and blah, blah. It's like, no, like that totally changed it. And I think that every exhibitor at, at HubSpot's inbound conference would say, yeah, that was like the most worthy, you know, exhibit experience I've ever had. So I think that like, don't hesitate to be edgy. I think the last thing I think when it comes to it is think about how you're going to take all this energy that happens in three, four days or whatever it may be. And allow it to last all year long. It could be a community. It could be that you're going to do events once a month, whatever it needs to be. But don't let that high, intense, amazing energy, all of the investment that you make for those three, four days for your event just to like dissipate. Because otherwise, like that's really where then people will forget about you. Um, you know, they'll talk about you for a couple of days, but you want them talking about you all year long. That
0: was a great mic drop, man. That was awesome. <laughs> so I, that, I mean, that was fantastic. Thank you for that. Thank you. Will, thank you so much for being here. This was such an incredible conversation and we're going to get into the lightning round. But before I do that, I just wanted to say thank you. This was an amazing episode. Um, you kicked things off well for us this week, man. Appreciate
1: you. Thanks so much, Jeremy. It's a pleasure.
0: Awesome. Okay, let's get into the lightning round. For those of you who don't know, this podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. And when you think about marketing and engagement, think salesforce.com forward slash marketing. We've got Will Curran endless events, Chief uh, Einstein, Chief Baller. This man is is in all things events. Um, Will, first question, lightning round. Here we go. What are you betting on for the future?
1: Ooh, I'm betting on the fact that you have to know technology in and out. And if you don't have technology and you're not excited about it and you're not implementing it, you're just going to get left behind.
0: Mm. Um, Wendy's and Chipotle join a growing number of companies exploring the potential of virtual worlds. We talked about this a little bit earlier, but what do you make of this just generally speaking, like these retail brands getting into the metaverse?
1: I think that people are looking for more ways to connect and explore beyond the flat 2D page. Um, I think that you know, social is really a hard space right now. Um, so the more that you can look to create a unique experience that people engage with, the more they'll remember you for years to come.
0: What impresses you?
1: Oh, other than you guys. Um,
0: <laughs> great, great, great
1: answer, Uh <laughs> I get impressed. When I watch a movie, I love movies. So I get impressed when I see an incredible storytelling, visual experience that just is unlike anything I've had before. I just get so excited and just get impressed by all the hard work that everyone puts into that. And the example of one, I just saw everything everywhere at once. um, And it was just like such an incredible, just visceral experience that I go like, how did they shoot that? How did they do that? And then, you know, I just go, wow, like these guys like thought of it. Like they just came up with this and that, that's really exciting for me The, you know, almost like you get to transition to a, another world for two, three hours or so for a movie.
0: Love that. If you had access to a time machine, where and when would you go? <laughs>
1: I love the idea of time travel. You know, like I'm very much about the Flash. is like my favorite DC comic superhero, okay, and he nice. like, time travels all the time. Um, so there's parts of me that say like going to your personal past is a really bad decision because that's how like kicks off a huge DC comic storyline called Flashpoint. But then you know, I would say I would go to the future, like probably to the point before it became you know a, a des- desolate. <laughs> post-apocalyptic world and then find out like all the cool technologies that they used and try to bring them back. So we have them sooner.
0: I love that.
1: You know, I think that would be really, really cool.
0: That's great. Um, What is success for you? Uh,
1: Success for me is like just being able to have to work, to be very happy and success and happiness, I think are intertwined with each other. But for me, it's about being able to work on things that I love doing and the, the idea of like exploring and learning and trying new things. Um, is a really big part of success for me Um, and, you know, getting to have fun along the way. So if I get to have fun along the way and get to explore and try new things and challenge myself, like that's ultimate success all day long.
0: Love it. What is your favorite app on your phone?
1: oh man i'm gonna pull on my phone real quick yeah just recently transitioned from android and pc all the way to all i uh apple products oh, now so welcome
0: aboard welcome um, aboard thank
1: you thank you it's been it's actually been pretty incredible and i feel like i've been missing out for a long period of time um <laughs> i would say if i had to pick one app probably spotify okay like the ability like my playlists, my music being able to choose it like i have sonos in my house so like just being able to have music around me just energizes me and gets me really excited and now that like Podcasts are integrated and into it. You know mm-hmm. the ability for people to find content and enjoy audio experiences is. I'd say that's probably the app that I open the most and utilize the most. Um, but you know, a lot of people have heard of Spotify, so let me try to think of one that like no one's heard of. Um, okay, so this is probably a cool one that no one has heard of. It's called Hydrate, and it's actually my water bottle. It's an app-controlled tracking oh, water bottle. I have
0: this one. I have this water bottle, dude. So yes. incredible!
1: It's so good. It it tracks like how much yes. water you're drinking. It syncs to Apple Health and reminds you throughout the day, lights up. Yeah, it's been honestly one of the coolest products. And I was just reaching out to their their CEO and talking to him about it. I'm like, I gotta talk to you. Man, this product's just incredible. So yeah, that's hydrate awesome. with a, instead, instead of a Y, it's with an I.
0: Yep, that's so funny. I, I saw, we had a guest come on the show a couple months back and she came in the studio and had, and I noticed her,
1: her, her, her water bottle was lighting it. up. I was
0: like, well, your water bottle is <laughs> lighting up. I immediately bought one on Amazon and I have one now. So, it's so cool. that's great. It's so incredible. What's a skill you believe everyone should have?
1: I think the ability to find things online. Mm. Um, You know, like I grew up on the internet and, you know, learned, you know, joined IRC chat rooms at a very early age, probably accelerated my aging uh, very quickly. And, you know, but I think the thing I learned is that if you want to learn anything, if you want to do anything, you can find it online, right? Like, Um, you know, if you want to teach yourself how to cryptocurrency mining, you can find everything you need online. If you want to learn how to uh, do web design, you can do it online, right? Like anything you want to do is online. If you know how to search for the right things. And sometimes I've learned that my skill to like very specifically Google things to find the best product or the best tip or the, you know, how to diagnose an error on a system I've never used before Like that has just become so handy because it makes it so that way you don't have to rely on other people. You can rely on yourself to get the information that you need.
0: Mm, That's good. In the same vein, if you could effortlessly pick up a skill in an instant, what would it be? Oh,
1: man. Oh, you know, flying helicopters. You know, I want, oh, I want, I want to learn how one. to fly a helicopter. That's a good that'd one. be, uh, you know, that's something that is not easily obtained. You can do it online. I'm sure I could watch enough YouTube videos, but like you have to get licensed and all these things like that do like hundreds of hours of piloting for safety reasons. Rightfully so. Um, so I'm, I would be really excited if I could literally just like tomorrow, like, Oh, I know how to fly a helicopter. Um, and that'd be really cool.
0: Okay. Last one. What's one thing you would like to do this year that you've never done before?
1: It's really hard. I really like try to knock down my bucket list as much as I can. Um, the the easy answer would be that I would love to learn how to fly a helicopter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's on my bucket list. Okay. But I would say, you know, because we're so involved in communities and I'm so like all about that right now. I want to learn beyond just like events. Also, like, how do you create the perfect community? Right. Like I know how to build the perfect event. I want to build the perfect community. And um, yeah, I, I, I that's a skill that I'm working really hard on this year. Um, and it's going to it just takes time, practice, experimentation and Lots of Googling.
0: (laughs) I love that. Awesome. Will, thanks so much for being here. This was great.
1: Thank you so much, Jeremy.
0: You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot content management system has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.